Hi, welcome to another episode of The Frame Podcast. This is the Changemakers series, and I'm your host, Shauna McEachern. Changemakers is about curiosity and provoking multiple perspectives around common themes. The themes we want to explore are about the context we need to figure out to build better youth mental health and substance use services and supports. We have a country filled with goodwill, expertise, and solutions, but we have persistent issues of fragmentation, services not matched to need, siloed funding, and a deficit of coaching and mentorship across the sector. We need to better understand how to build a foundation of cohesion around a national agenda that enhances our individual and collective ability to collaborate, learn, and design with impact in mind. I want to hear from those who are working to figure this out and ask them, what will it take? Join me as we dive deep into provocative and insightful conversations. I'll be speaking with funders, researchers, thought leaders, youth, caregivers, and service providers to uncover what it will take to build the youth mental health and substance use sector that we all deserve. So today for Changemakers podcast, I'm here with Caitlin Greer. And Caitlin, I would love to hear a little bit about who you are, what you're passionate about in the youth mental health and substance use sector, and what kind of work you do. Uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start. Uh, yeah, my name is Caitlin Greer. My background is mainly in peer support. So I first received peer support uh, maybe like four years ago, and it changed my life so much that I became a peer support worker myself. But now I work in research and still do peer support on the side. There's a whole bunch of different projects I work on, but my main passion is youth mental health now. Awesome. Thanks, Caitlin. So can you tell us a little bit about what lived experience means in the context of the youth mental health and substance use sector and and maybe a little bit about why it's important? Oh, there is so many reasons it's important. I feel like that's been a gap that's really been missed is this lived experience perspective, Um, especially I'm noticing that in research now. When I first got into research, like my mind was like kind of blown. I was like, you never ask the people that actually experience these things. They're like, no, we kind of just guessed all these years. It's like, oh, okay. So kind of a huge missing gap, especially with youth. I just feel like a lot of people had a little bit of stigma towards youth. Yeah, like now it's so great that all their voices are getting into research and other projects and it's being integrated because I think it gives a really valuable practical perspective. So that's a great piece where lived experience comes into the picture. So it sounds like what you're saying is sort of lived experience is really, whether it be a young person's lived experience or a caregiver's or a community member's, that it's really taking kind of what we've learned through life. And that might be a journey with mental illness or substance use challenges and applying it to help build systems or design systems that work for the people who are actually going to access them. Would that be a fair reflection? Absolutely, Shana, you nailed it. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about this, about how you've seen this shift in research where lived experiences being more integrated into research or being asked for a little bit more. So can you tell us some of the ways that lived experience could be integrated into whether it be research or programs or policy, just to make the sector work better? Um, You spoke a little bit to this, but other ways that that might be able to happen or, or ways that you saw that happen for you? How did you get into research? Like, What were the pathways for you to be able to 
share your lived experience in research? That's a really interesting question. I feel like everything in my life, I am actually the person that like experiences it first and then gets into it. So I was just being researched on. And that's how I got into research. Um, I just was so diligent and so interested in it that people started hiring me to like lead research projects instead of just being a person that was researched on for these projects. So that's how I got into it. Um, I feel like that's becoming more and more common now that lived experience is being more integrated. Going back to the other parts of your question, for researchers and lived experience, I feel like a really great combination is with knowledge mobilization or knowledge translation. I've seen that work really, really well for lived experience at any level. Other than that, like I said before, like the practical perspective that the lived experience is bringing is just so valuable to any project. Because like I said before, you can come up with the most amazing, incredible idea that could be life-changing, but if it's not practical and the people with lived experience are just like, this just doesn't work for me. Uh, like maybe it's a transportation issue. Maybe it's a cost issue. Maybe it's a time issue. Like there's just all these things that I think a lot of people on projects don't have necessarily the insight or lived experience to see coming. So like you get that in advance, you get that perspective so you can create a product that's going to be way more effective for the people it's serving. And it's really an interesting reflection, Caitlin, that it's sort of your own kind of like falling into experiences that have created an opportunity for you to advocate for the integration of your lived experience. And it does make me think that to ensure that as a sector, we're really hearing from diverse young people and young people that really have accessibility barriers, as you spoke to, we're going to require much more outreach to pull in that lived experience. So I'm just sort of reflecting on what you've shared and thinking about how far we've come in this area of integrating lived experience, but also still how far we have to go so that we're really embedding outreach as a component of that. Does that seem like a fair reflection to you? Oh, yeah, Ashana, you bring up such a great point. Like, I've been in the sector, I feel like for a while now, I'm kind of aging out of the youth category at this point, if I have to be honest. And I feel like I've seen the exact same people in research studies for the past like five years. So I think just like you said, that outreach component, like I really am hoping to see more creative ways to reach out to people because at least in research, like I'm only speaking from what I've seen in research. Uh, typically the people that sign up are exactly like me. They're usually white women around my age um, that have some kind of post-secondary education. So there's like a huge gap in the people that we're even reaching out to or like trying to be more intentional about reaching out to, to participate and give their lived experience. So I'm hoping to see that kind of shift as well in like the outreach, as well as like with COVID, everything turned virtual. And now we're missing all these like rural people or people that might not have access to some kind of device to participate in like the online world. So that's an, also a really interesting thing that I think we need to consider more in outreach now. Thanks, Caitlin. And I think it really is resonant with me. You spoke about aging out of sort of being a young person. And it's really interesting because in a lot of ways, we have these sort of like arbitrary conceptions about age and chronological age. And I think one of the things that we're trying to 
think a lot more about is this sort of stage, not age concept, whereby people's experiences and their experience of a certain type of experience, such as being a young person struggling with mental health um, or substance use challenges, is transcendent to age. It's something that that's an experience that has validity across somebody's lifespan and across what they can share. And so I'd love to know a little bit from your perspective, you know, or thinking about this stage, not age concept. Does this resonate with you as someone who's sort of identified that you feel like you may be moving out of that youth, the demographic? And do you think this would be helpful for us to include more people in this conversation as we think more about development, not chronological age? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I'm kind of kind of torn on it, to be honest. So on one hand, I feel like it's really dependent on the project. So I think you need to think a lot about what you're looking for from the lived experience. If you're looking for people that are like 24, let's say now, or like a youth now, because a youth now is very different from a youth 30 years ago. But I think where it gets complicated is that every person has been a youth at some point in their life. And they can draw on that experience. So I feel like it gets very complicated in that way. If you're just looking for like general youth experience, I think you can ask any person because they were a youth at one point in their life and they can think about that. I don't know how good their memory will be. Like sometimes mine gets pretty spotty even now uh, about what exactly like the context and the feelings were like during that time. So I think it's just really dependent on the project. I think that's such a great point, Caitlin. And I was having a conversation recently about how sort of our life story or our narrative evolves, that sometimes we can look back at a certain point in time, we can look back on our life and we sort of have one narrative of it. And over time, that narrative can evolve depending on our new experiences or perspectives that we garner. So I think it is a bit more complex than maybe just sort of having a really clear distinction between we're going to you know, have an age category for youth, and that's what we're going to align with. Or we're going to think about the developmental stages and and approach it in that way. It, it is a bit more nuanced and complex. So I think that what you're reflecting, it really resonates with me. And it's kind of making me think about that complexity. And one thing we do know is that there's a lot of young people across the country who are working very hard to share their voices, amplify the voices of others, and to create change in the system to make improvements. So as a young person that's trying to make improvements in the sector, what do you think are the best ways for others that are working in the sector that may not hold that youth identity to support the impact that you can have? Oh, interesting question. Um, What I've seen be the most effective is like, usually when you're a youth in this sector, Uh, It's very project-based, so he'll be signed up for like a project and it's a certain amount of time and then it's over. But where I've seen the most impact in my life to help me get where I need to be is when the relationship continue on after the project. So I've had like so many great mentors in my life and people that have continued to support me even after the project ended. And I think that's just so important to any project with lived experiences. Like you're not just creating a relationship for that period of time. It might be a relationship for the rest of your life. So if you're getting into this 
kind of sector or like project where you're integrating lived experience, I really hope you're ready for that. Because I feel like it's almost like a requirement that you're open to that, because I feel like it's going to be very detrimental and not feel very good for the person with lived experience if it, it kind of feels like you're being used, you know? So I think that's just a really big component and what I've seen work well for me. Thanks for that reflection, Caitlin. And I think one thing that we sort of underestimate sometimes, and I, you know, I say this coming from sort of a knowledge mobilization perspective, I guess, is that we underestimate the importance of relationships across our sector. And it's a hard thing to capture. And, and in the knowledge mobilization field, we often talk about this. We talk about the like, just unwavering importance of relationships and connection and convening of those relationships across the sector over time and how that's really the foundation for strong change and for people having an aligned vision and moving forward collaboratively together. But it's a very hard thing to articulate and it's a very hard thing to capture. And it's, you know, relationships are interpersonal. So it's also a hard thing for everybody to necessarily know how to move forward with them. So I think you kind of reinforcing this perspective that focusing on relationships or at least leaning into that and understanding the importance of that is so critical for our listeners to hear. So thank you for that reflection. Yeah, um, actually, what you said made me think of something else, which is like, on my perspective, as like a person with lived experience, I've had the opportunity to work with many different people that are more like academic or medical. And I was so resistant to their perspectives at first. And I like, I was a hater, like, I have to admit, I was a hater for a long time. And I started to make a lot more effective change when I started to work with them instead of against them. I hope that makes sense. So I had to take what they were saying as well into consideration and like, their thoughts, their experiences as an academic or medical professional and be like, okay, like, I can see why you don't want to make that change that I'm asking for. And now I will course correct and try to ask for a change that is more acceptable for the whole ecosystem of the youth mental health sector. Yeah, thanks for that reflection, Caitlin. I think we have a ways to go. But one of the things that I, I'm reflecting on is just how much shift I've seen even in the last decade around trying to think about what's critical and important for the sector in a different kind of way and and really moving sort of to that transdiagnostic approach for mental illness and substance use to say like, we want to address whole people and we want to invest in whole people. And maybe we haven't quite gotten it right yet, but I, I think that the momentum is there and the intention is there. Absolutely. Um, I think historically too, we have seen some hesit. Well, I'll say historically in terms of in recent history, we have seen some hesitancy to include lived expertise or lived experience in programming, policy development, and research. Why do you think this hesitancy exists? You spoke a little bit about sort of maybe the level of investment that's required or relationship building that's required. Do you have any other thoughts or ideas about why you think that might be there, this hesitancy? And also, how do we overcome it? Yeah, that's uh, like, honestly, at least in my experience, it felt like stigma was the biggest piece. Like, and that's what I have tried to fight this whole time is like, no, like, even though I may be diagnosed with these things or have these experiences, that does not limit my capabilities if I get the opportunities. 
And I think I've made a lot of progress in that way. Like, I think I've really shown some people like what a person with lived experience can do, which I'm very proud of at this point. Uh, So the stigma piece was a huge piece. I feel like it's kind of like, if it's not stigma, it's almost like an overprotective, almost like an overprotective parent. Especially with youth, I tend to see this as a reoccurring thing where they want to like almost protect them from themselves. But like, honestly, I feel like if a youth has lived experience, they're pretty tough. I didn't need to be protected because I had like a wealth of lived experience that a research study or a project was not going to rattle me or upset me at this point. And if it did, I would just leave. So I feel like that overprotective piece needs to kind of leave the picture now at this point and like You know, if you're clear on strategy that you're both using to communicate about when those conflicts arise, then I think it'll be all good. In terms of combating it, yeah, I guess like just that communication piece is so big. Yeah, I'm really hearing a lot here about the importance of building clarity and communication approach like upfront and kind of hearing that it's okay to have maybe different approaches like there's some best practice and standards of best practice in terms of engaging lived experts. But within that, there's still a lot of kind of allowance for different approaches. And so kind of what I think I'm hearing from you is that's okay. We just want to have clarity and we want to communicate up front and have all of that sorted out. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And I'll add additionally to that when it's like people that their main source of I don't even know what to call it. Knowledge is lived experience. I feel like it's kind of just like a vibe check. You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to put into words. And I feel like people that are really academic or professional or medical, it's like, it's a very, they're very like book driven and they're policy driven and it's all this written stuff, but it's not like if you just pass the vibe check, I think it'll be a lot better, but they're like reading off of a page of policies And they're just kind of missing the mark with the energy that they're bringing to whatever project they're doing. Does that make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking too about some of the experiences I've had where, you know, I've been working with folks with lived experience. And I mean, I hold lived experience as well, but in a capacity in which I had more power or privilege. And I think that some of the learnings that I've had from that are exactly what you're saying. It's about you know, understanding that you're talking to full people, you know, you're talking to to humans and we're, we're talking to each other and there's a humanity aspect to it that I think is really important. And sometimes just not taking a moment to, what's a good way to, to kind of think about this? You talked about like feeling like it might be tokenistic. And I think sometimes when we rely too heavily on just verbating our policies or sticking too much to only the policies and the procedures, we miss that humanizing aspect that's really important in our conversations. And I think probably the biggest lesson I've learned if I reflect on it is that it's okay also to apologize. And if you've built rapport with someone and you have a good relationship and you walk with good intention and good impact most of the time, that if you mess up, uh, acknowledging that you messed up goes a long way. So I don't know, that's that's kind of a learning I have. Do you think that holds true, Caitlin? Absolutely. I love your thoughts on this so much, Shauna. And like, I love the apology piece that you mentioned, like the people I've become the closest to, they have been the people that have apologized to me for something they did. And you know what, Um, based on my lived experience, I did not have like a healthy 
view of relationships or what they should look like. So it was a really great learning experience for me to have that apology. It taught me, it's like, oh, people should apologize when they treat me that way. And that's something I've carried with me for the rest of my life. So the apology piece is uh, it's a big thing and it's uh, it can really, really connect people as well. I love you sharing that, Caitlin, that like somebody apologizing to you about maybe not going about engagement or integrating lived experience in, in the best way also taught you something else. It sounds like you're talking a bit about like self-worth and beyond that experience, the importance of how people should show up for you in life. And I think one of the things that I'm really reflecting on in our conversation is that that important piece about building relationships with those that you're engaging with who have lived experience is also about both of you learning together and developing additional skills. And we often talk now about when we work with youth predominantly, but also caregivers in the youth mental health and substance use sector, that we're investing in future leadership. We're learning and growing together and we're thinking about whole people because our experience is together. And if we prioritize and lean into trying to do the best job engaging lived experience as we can, we're actually flourishing as human beings together more broadly than just the work we're doing. That is such an interesting thought. Oh, it made me think of something. I've seen a lot of gatekeeping from some people on the like more academic or medical or professional side of like the mental health sector in general, which I found really interesting because we do not have enough people working in the youth mental health sector or like the mental health sector in general. Like everyone is way overworked and I don't think they're like feeling that great right now because they're so overworked and they have such a high burden on them. So I'm really hoping that that gatekeeping piece kind of changes soon because I think there's a whole host of people with lived experience that could be integrated into the system so beautifully and have such a great impact and would make everyone happier. We're not going to steal your jobs. Don't worry. We're, <laughs> we're going to help. So I, I, I'm really hoping that changes soon. Caitlin, I'd love to know your thoughts a little bit about how do we integrate lived experience within policy? Policy is a really tricky thing for a lot of folks to have access to, even organizationally. It, it's complex and it's challenging to impact on policy. So as a young person, what are some of your reflections or thoughts about the importance of being able to integrate lived experience into policy? And is it accessible? The policy piece is a gap I've seen kind of missed in the mental health sector overall, um, in my experience. So I'd like to see that kind of filled in a bit because there's two different sides here. Like you could get, um, kind of like a capacity building and opportunities in the policy sphere, or you can get it in the mental health sphere. And I feel like a lot of people that are going into policy aren't necessarily interested in mental health or youth mental health. So. I feel like it's kind of up to the youth mental health sector or the mental health sector in general to start promoting programs and integrating some kind of component relating to policy into their projects and programs because uh, like we're the ones who care and I don't think anyone else is going to care unless we take up the mantle to kind of get it done ourselves. Yeah, so I'd love to see more opportunities to learn how to engage with policymakers. This actually leads itself perfectly into sort of our last reflection or final 
formal question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about an experience when you were engaged in a meaningful way and maybe one where you weren't and you spoke a little bit to this and really what were the main differences? Like what were the change factors for you in those experiences? Um, I think at one point I had gotten in contact with a PhD professor and I think they were in the same city I was in and I, I just threw it out there. I was like, are you open to meeting me in person? And, you know, this person actually said yes, which I was impressed by. And I thought that was really great engagement. I don't know why, but I feel like a lot of people, when I say I have lived experience, are afraid of me and they think I'm a dangerous person, which I'm like, totally not at all in any way. So uh, it was like very good to see, like be seen in that way and actually have a real conversation with someone. So that was a really great experience I had. The experiences that have not been so good, uh, like I said before, I felt like they were just reading off of a script, like they were not being themselves. And that's like a very big thing to me is like, I'm showing up as myself and I'm sharing my lived experience. Can you just show up as yourself and be authentic in some way? So I feel like that's all it really comes down to is like, if you're just yourself, I can accept that even if it wasn't the best you that day, I still think it's better than reading out of a book. I love that. And I think that's such a great sentiment to sort of end with and share is that when we ask folks to bring their lived experience, we're asking them to bring something very personal and it's their life, right? We have these sort of distinctions between professional life or work life and personal life. And sometimes they're arbitrary, but someone's personal life is personal to them. And we're asking folks to lead with that. And I think that if we're trying to meet someone where they're at, but also forge together to try to create and design a better system, then it requires vulnerability from both parties or all parties involved. And that we have to show up in that genuine way, like you spoke to. There's a piece about just being genuine and being vulnerable and feeling that collaborative camaraderie about being in it together to create the change. So I think that's a really beautiful sentiment, Caitlin, and and thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah, just just engage authentically. That's it. it's it's maybe don't make it too complicated. It, it could be that simple. Who knows? And I guess my like final reflections after this conversation, which I've just I've really loved, and I Caitlin, I always love chatting with you. I think we always have great conversations. Is like anything else that comes to mind for you, or anything else you want to share? I can't think of anything pressing, but I'm just really excited to see where the sector goes and where this podcast goes and all the guests you have on here. Cause I think Frame is a really great organization that's kind of actually making a difference. So congrats to Frame. Thanks for that, Caitlin. We try our best. <laughs>